it's so important for writers to realize that they are in the driver's seat. They are the person doing the hiring of this agent. And so being as selective as possible, asking tough questions is so important. And I really appreciate when writers ask me tough questions because we really need to figure out if we're the right pairing for each other. And it's hard when it's just based on an email and a phone call and a manuscript to kind of start off a very long business relationship. I really welcome a lot of those, those critical questions. I think it's really important to be honest with writers and take them seriously as entrepreneurs. Hey everyone, welcome to LitMedge, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their writing career. Thank you so much for joining me in these important conversations with literary agents. I'm Abigail Perry, the host of LitMedge, and I'm always on the hunt to find interesting literary agents who are making big differences in the publishing industry by advocating for authors and making their dreams come true. And today's guest is an especially meaningful person in my life, she was one of my amazing mentors in publishing when I had the privilege and pleasure of working with her as an editorial intern. And I can attest to this champion's perseverance, passion, courage, integrity, and constant willingness to try new things in a continually evolving business. I'm speaking about none other than Carly Waters. Carly is a senior vice president and senior literary agent at PS Literary and a sitting VP of PACLA, the Professional Association of Canadian Literary Agents. She is a B in English Literature from Queen's University and an MA in Publishing Studies from City University, London. Carly joined PS Literary Agency in 2010 and has sold over 100 books during her career. She represents award-winning and best-selling authors in the adult fiction and nonfiction categories and select children's books. Carly is known most for her long-term vision for authors and being an excellent collaborator with a nose for commercial success. Her clients' books have been translated into 40 languages, optioned for TV and film, adapted into podcasts, and have been on every bestseller list from coast to coast, including the New York Times, USA Today, LA Times, The Washington Post, The Toronto Star, and The Globe and Mail. Today, Carly is also a co-host of the popular writing podcast, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. Please welcome to the stage my friend and the wonderful literary agent, Carly Waters. Carly, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm so grateful to have you on the show and to have the opportunity to talk with you about your manuscript wish list and work as a literary agent. Your time and conversation means so much to us. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for thinking of me. Absolutely. I want to focus on what you like to represent, why you like those stories and your relationships with clients. Before that, tell us about your publishing career how you started, where you are now, and how you envision yourself working in the next five to 10 years. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was in my undergrad degree. I wasn't sure if I wanted to teach or what you did with an English degree. Kept me coming back was just the books themselves. Don't really know that there is a whole business behind books, right? We kind of just imagine that books show up in a bookstore or the library. I kind of figured that out. I just kind of chased that to figure out how, how do I do that? So I started to do a bit of research into postgrad programs. There's a lot of programs in New York and there's a couple in Toronto and some in London and the UK. And I knew that I wanted to learn the book business in a big market. So I was looking at either New York or the UK. Uh, because I'm Canadian, it was just a little bit more seamless to hop over to the UK being Commonwealth. I went to London. I did a master's in publishing studies. And what that means is it's basically teaching business skills to English majors. <laughs> so all of us are very keen on the books, but I took classes in 
marketing and publicity and sales and rights. And obviously there were some editorial classes as well. Also just a lot of group work, you know, publishing is so uh, multidisciplinary and interdepartmental. So um, a lot of the focus was on working with different people. Uh, that program, it was at City University. It was a wonderful program. We took courses three days a week and then we had two days off essentially. Uh, we were supposed to work or intern during that time. So I was so fortunate to right out of the gate once I started my master's program to get a job one day a week as a literary agency assistant. Because as soon as I started the program, I knew that I wanted to be an agent and wanted to be an agenting because to me, it was just the best of all of the world. You got to discover clients and work on editing and work on contracts and pitching and write sales and a bit of travel. All the light bulbs went off. I couldn't imagine why anybody would want to work at a publishing house, even though they're the ones that do the books. I'm like, agenting is where it's at. It was very drilled into me that it's extremely competitive, not a lot of support in terms of like financial support and things like that. It's really hard to kind of make a name for yourself. It's a lot more secure and stable to work at a publisher. I was quite young at the time. I was only 21 in my master's program and knew that at 21, I could take a lot of risks. I had no dependents, you know, no debt, just me. I, I was really hell bent on deciding that I wanted to, to be an agent. And that was important to me. I had that job as a literary agency assistant for a year. Then I moved back to North America and I was just trying to figure out my way forward. Right away, I started interning um, in a rights department at a publisher. And then this job for an associate agent at PS Literary came up. And PS Literary is the agency that I'm at now. I've been at PS Literary since 2010. I was the third person brought on board there. And we have a wonderful team, awesome group of agents spread over all over Canada and the US. I am now senior vice president and senior literary agent. So I've been able to work my way up there representing debut authors, best-selling authors, award-winning authors. And I just have a really robust list of fiction and nonfiction clients where I see things going for the next five years. It's so interesting because so I kind of just closed off my first decade of agenting. And I was thinking, what am I going to set for some next goals? So I definitely got some goals in mind in terms of what I want to accomplish. Some of them I'm going to keep to myself because I don't want to jinx anything. I've got some really fun things in the works. But basically, it's continuing to bring really great projects forward and really just helping authors' dreams come true like I always do. Books are such a phenomenal way for nonfiction clients to grow their brands and expand their businesses and expand their platforms. And for novelists, I'm working with so many talented authors that are just writing incredibly interesting, compelling and escapist stories to kind of take us away from here. <laughs> it's really interesting, especially because you started at PS Literary Agency after your literary agent assistant position. And you've been there your career as a literary agent. You said you just hit the decade mark, which is congratulations. That's so exciting. I think it's technically 11 years, but that doesn't, 11. Have, the good, that doesn't have as good of a ring to it as the decade. 10 plus one. That's a long time at one literary agency where it's not uncommon for literary agents to go to different literary agencies. So what is it about PS Literary Agency that you love so much? And what is it that PS Literary Agency has given you that has been home? Oh, that's such a great question. And I definitely know some agents that have hopped around in order to find their fit. And a lot of it is, it's so hard as a new agent to know what kind of support you need or know what kind of agent you're going to be. A lot of agenting is figuring it out as you develop your career and your tastes and, and all of that, right? And I've just been so fortunate that I was the third person at PS Literary. So I've been able to be part of the helm of the ship, kind of direct the direction we're going to go, how we're going to evolve. And we've always had a very commercial mindset. I have nothing against literary fiction, but I really 
gravitate towards more commercial fiction or more upmarket fiction because I just want the most amount of people to read my clients' books. So with literary fiction, you tend to have a little bit of a smaller pocket of people, which again is fine. But I think our agency's always been focused on how can we reach the most amount of people for our clients and try to be as commercially minded as possible. So I feel like I've been able to grow in that environment and be quite supported in that environment. We've always worked from home. So our agency's always been virtual and remote. That was more forward thinking at the time. Obviously, a lot of people were still in house. And so Part of the agenting experience is you work in-house at an agency as an assistant where you're paid a salary or you're an agent and, you know, you're given a business card and basically you're fully commissioned only and you're kind of up, up and running by yourself. And so when you have zero dollars coming in until you sell some client books, it's hard to live in a big city. The barrier to entry is really high. So the flexibility of being remote meant that I could float around. I did house sitting, you know, eventually moved in with my boyfriend, now husband. So it just gave me a lot of flexibility in terms of not having to live in a big city and, and pay big overheads in terms of life expenses for starting out as an agent. My expenses were able to kind of match where I was as an agent and increase as my career has gone on. So, so yeah, it has been a really great fit for me personally. I know that every agent needs a different set of supports, but our team is, has been really great for me. There's contract support and, and great admin support. One of the things that I try to focus on is just being really good at what I'm good at, you know, and outsourcing things that I'm not good at because that's just a waste of everybody's time. I'm so thankful we have fantastic back office admin setup, business fairs, everything like that. You know, they're just so great at vetting all the royalty statements and being so conscientious with our clients' IP and money and everything like that. That. So I can really focus on client management and signing new clients and what I consider all the big, fun, exciting things <laughs> and, uh, and what I'm good at. I really like to focus all my energy on that. And I recently hired an assistant this past year to be able to delegate and, and outsource of work in terms of data management and, and some scheduling stuff and, and trying to set myself up for the most amount of success. And the agency has definitely been able, given me the room to grow. You're saying so many interesting things here that I am just grabbing and holding. And one of those main things is that you recognize when you have a strength and when you want to hand something off to someone else. I think so many people in this industry, writers included, think that they have to do it all on their own. And part of the literary agent and the client relationship is that you now become business partners. You now get to work as a team. How do you support writers when you offer representation to them? Do you see yourself as a team as well? And do you start to help each other identify where you can help one another and grow and move towards that goal of success? That's really interesting. It makes me think a lot about the power structure of the author-agent relationship because it seems very unbalanced at times because it seems like the power structure is in the agent's favor because it is hard to get an agent. So writers generally are working really hard, sending out all these query letters, and a lot of people just jump when, need, when an agent says jump. There's inherently a bit of a power imbalance at that point. Then, really, it's so important for writers to realize that they are in the driver's seat, right? Like, they are the person doing the hiring of this agent. And so being as selective as possible, asking tough questions is so important. And I really appreciate when writers ask me tough questions because... We really need to figure out if we're the right pairing for each other. And it's hard when it's just based on an email and a phone call and a manuscript, right, to kind of start off a very long business relationship. I really welcome a lot of those, those critical questions. I can only speak to my track record and my strengths and, and my knowledge base and, and what I'm capable of. I, I try to be really honest with clients. I think there happens to be some agents out there that maybe promise the moon, but they can't get the moon. I think it's really important to be honest with writers and take them seriously as entrepreneurs. I, I feel like we really need to 
remind them that they, again, have the power here because they are the creators and, and they are the ones putting this work together and their name's on the cover, right? So I really like to explain that that power balance can feel off at times, but it really should be a partnership. And agents are responsible for all the business matters and clients often defer to me for business decisions, but I'm always kind of advising them on what I think is the right decision to make. I don't say, you know, we must do this. It's I advise you to do this. And there's times that they agree with me and there's times that they don't. But, you know, we really have to have that open communication. And really it, it revolves around what are their end goals and, and knowing what their goals are and being able to talk about what their ambitions are. And a lot of times it's money related or success related or what their idea of success is and what that idea of money means to them and, and having all of those interesting conversations. So it's very important to me that we establish a lot of trust as, as quickly as possible. I do agree with you, especially when it comes to the submission process. I remember one time on one of your Instagram stories, you talked about percentages of what you offer represent and what you ask for fulls. And it was something like 3% you ask for more, 1% you ask for a full and 0.001% you offer representation. So it's a competitive industry. Rejections are inevitable. And remembering that it's about writing the best book that you can and then finding the best match. I'm hearing you say is that you're really in tune and a good listener to what your clients are asking and what they want to do and that you're trusting them to make the best decisions for their career. That's really special and something that I have seen firsthand with you. And I think that it's a testament to how wonderful you are personally. Let's get into your manuscript wish list. Talk to me about how you started to choose the genres that you represent. It's so interesting because as an agent, there's a couple of things that go through your head when you're starting out. First is just, please, God, let me sell a book. <laughs> let me be good enough for this job to make this happen as a career. It kind of started out, I was looking at everything, right? I'm just trying to find really great projects to sell. And so I, I used to do all of Kid Lit and all of Battle. And then about four or five years into my career, I just thought, I think I'd have to double down where I think I could be most successful. Because one of the hard things is as an agent, you have to know, all the editors and have all these contacts. And I found like having knowing everybody in Kidlet and knowing everybody in adult fiction and nonfiction was just untenable to me in the way that I wanted to do and, and the way that I wanted to be able to provide for my clients in terms of building those editor relationships. I closed the door to my Kidlet side of my list. I shared some of my clients with other agency members and unfortunately had to let some go, but that was just, you know, the right decision I had to do to kind of be the best agent I wanted to be. That's kind of how I evolved to half fiction, half nonfiction. And my list really is half fiction, half nonfiction. I'm covering a lot of material here. I, I also don't want to say no to something. Sometimes I feel like having a limited manuscript wish list means you could miss out on really great things. I try not to be close-minded. I don't do is a lot of science fiction fantasy unless there's like a genre blend into another category. I don't do any middle grade, but I do do the occasional picture book in YA. Like if there's a client who, who wants to do something like that, usually it's like an existing client. Really to me, what links all of these things and, and what links a lot of my clients together is I really feel like I want to participate and moving the conversation forward in some capacity. So whether it's fiction or nonfiction, it's really just about helping clients with unique ideas, unique stories, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, to, to do something new and innovative. You know, I don't want to publish the same book that's already come out. I want to you know, move the conversation forward in whatever capacity it is. And so I have a lot of sub-interests in terms of different things. I mean, I love books about people behaving badly. I circle that on my list because life is complicated, right? Like nobody wants to read about perfect people. We want to read about complicated people. There's just, again, so many, so many sub-genres of things. And I think what links a lot of my fiction and nonfiction together is our, our human relationship to the natural 
world. I'm very interested in that. So whether it's in fiction, if there's some sort of relationship to nature and the outdoors or, you know, classism and power struggles in terms of our relationship to our existing world, it doesn't have to be a natural world thing. It could also be like a city in an urban environment. Again, those that interaction with the natural world, whether it's cities or the country, some sort of humanist element and thinking about our position in the world is really important to me. There's so much in terms of critical thinking, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, really producing a body of work that feels like it's saying something. I think it's really important to be working with creators that have a really strong point of view and they know how to communicate that point of view. That's really important to me. A lot of that is brand oriented as well. Like I'm trying to help them hone that brand, but you have to know what you want to say in order for me to help brand that and, and cultivate that. That's really important for me. I mean, I'm really just looking for projects that are entertaining. I'm looking for projects that I think can reach the most amount of people. So I'm not really looking for kind of niche or experimental things. But that said, I am looking for subgenre type of things. I said with the nonfiction, you have to be an expert in a certain category. So if you can be that expert to kind of break out your category in a big way, I'm also interested in that. I have so many questions. Let's step back. Can you just define what a manuscript wishlist is and then dig in deep to some examples? So manuscript wishlist is kind of a more industry term that kind of came up with the internet because it was easily summarized in a hashtag and the hashtag is MSWL. If you're ever on Twitter, you know, agents and editors will share their manuscript wish list, hashtag MSWL, which makes it easily searchable. There's also a a website called Manuscript Wishlist where you can go and, and check out people's wishlists. Basically, it's what agents want to see in their inbox, which is their slush pile. And the slush pile is the place where you would send your unsolicited queries. So basically, it's like where you would pitch your book. You had a really great infographic, and I can include it in the show notes, that specified the differences between commercial upmarket and literary fiction. And I know women's fiction, book club fiction, sometimes it feels like lines can be fused. Sometimes it feels like they're really separate things. Could you help explain the differences? Yeah, I've been in the business a while, so it's such an obvious question to me, but I completely understand why it's completely overwhelming because you want to be able to categorize it in the proper category, of course. Literary fiction is always going to be craft-driven, driven by the quality of the words themselves and the language and, and the voice and, and all of that sort of thing. It might not be a satisfying ending. You know, that tends to be something more literary-oriented. It could be something that's angling for awards or something. I call it a capital L literary fiction, something that is more hybrid. And usually literary fiction could be more experimental or told in a different way than commercial fiction. The kind of tropes of literary fiction are that it's more the pace can be slower because it is more about the actual craft of the writing. And the opposite spectrum would be commercial fiction. And commercial fiction is also kind of what we call genre fiction, which means we're talking about romance and crime and thriller and mysteries and science fiction fantasy. Could be if you're thinking about how can I picture that? Like if you're picturing like mass market paperbacks, that kind of thing you would see in one of those little circle spinners, mass market fiction, that's that kind of commercial fiction, genre fiction category. It tends to be much more plot driven, right? So we're not so focused it's not that there's bad writing. It's just like our focus isn't as much on the lyrical language. It's more on how can we write really tightly. It's really hard sometimes to write like that in a really tasty way. So, you know, commercial fiction authors are so talented at, at you know, getting to the plot faster with all the equal amount of character development, but we're really focused on plot. And commercial fiction is a lot more oriented towards satisfying endings. If there is a series, obviously it might be more open-ended, but very satisfying, not like perfectly happy endings all the time, but like very emotionally satisfying endings to be like, you know, I enjoyed that. It happened, you know, put the book down. 
Another thing with commercial fiction is that the aim is really entertainment. It's not that it's not thought provoking. It's really just like immersive in the sense that we really just want to know what happens. There's a goal in the book and we really need to figure out how is the character going to achieve that goal. That's kind of commercial fiction. And then the middle, there's this space called upmarket fiction. I understand this is a loosey-goosey term for sure, but it is categorized by more character driven. We have the kind of quality writing of literary fiction. Ideally, it'll be pacey like commercial fiction. So we're not, we're hoping it's not as methodical as literary fiction, but it's much more character driven. We're thinking about book club fiction, topics that are more like high octane in terms of buzzy topics, more topical, ripped from the headlines kind of thing. It could be more book clubby type books. Like if you imagine what is pitched to book clubs as being a book club book, obviously there's a whole dissertation we could do about like, why is a book club book? But really it's about a quality writing of commercial fiction, but tackling the plotty topics or, or themes that can really make us think and then more character driven. I hope that helps. That's how I imagine the three categories in my head. Yeah, no, it definitely helps. Can we talk a little bit about examples from your clients and how they could be categorized that way? Someone like Girls with Bright Futures, when Tracy and Wendy. Yeah, so that in my head that, that they've always been at market because they're tackling subject matter that is thought provoking. So the the concept of the book for anybody that doesn't know is, and Tracy and Wendy, I could attest to the fact that they pitched me this book and they came up with this book before the Varsity Blues scandal erupted. But basically it's like college admission scandal meets big little lies is kind of the concept, right? It's parents behaving badly in Seattle, trying to get their kids into the best colleges and universities. Everybody gets into trouble. And there is a, um, a very dramatic scene as well in terms of a life or death situation. So it has a lot of things going on. The rip from the headline bit, multi-POV, so we're getting into the heads of three characters, so it's very character-driven, but it's also very plotty, as if there's big events happening here. So to me, it's always been in the out-market category. And when I envisioned pitching it, I pitched, I, I imagine it's out-market. If it was to be more commercial, it would have had to fall a little bit more into psychological suspense or something like that, or domestic suspense. But I think it elevated that and became more market fiction as opposed to domestic suspense, because it really wasn't solely based on the who done it? It was more also about the characters themselves. How would that compare to something like Gwendy Vendera's Where the Force Meets the Stars or The Light Through the Leaves and Andrea Dunlop's We Came Here to Forget? Gwendy's first book, Where the Forest Meets the Stars, that one I also pitched as upmarket. That main character just went through the breast cancer experience and is recovering and coming back from that. It's a, a PhD student who is trying to finish their dissertation. They're in a cabin in the woods and all of a sudden this mysterious girl shows up. The reason that book is upmarket to me is it's a very unlikely friendship story and unlikely friendship stories tend to be more upmarket because it's more of like an unlikely pairing. There's also a romance element to Glendy's work. There are some elements of it that are very commercial in the sense that at some points that book is really pacey and it has a bit of a thriller element to it. At some points there's like a little romance angle. But I think what makes it a market to me is that we're talking about a genre blending experience because this little girl character that we meet pretends that she's not real. She pretends she's an alien. So at the beginning of the book we're like, is this magical realism? Is this fantasy? Like it's a very special quirky book and that's what sets that one apart for me for upmarket and then in terms of andrea's book she's done really so many great novels losing the light was our first book that i sold and her more recent one is we came here to forget the reason that she is more upmarket is that her use of language and craft and tone and voice is really elevated but she always has a, a plot that we're working towards so it's not literary in the sense that we are we're really just focusing on the craft itself her books always have a bit of a mystery to them but not so that they are only driven by the mystery. So that's why she's at market to me because she has such a wonderful use of language. 
but we're always working towards something really interesting in terms of a mystery element. In her first book, there's a love triangle and somebody dies and we're working towards that, which is very dramatic. But we also want to be in the moment with her book. So we're not rushing like a crime thriller novel to get to the end. We're really luxuriating in the drama of the love triangle. And then we came here to forget. It's a really dramatic family story, but also partly takes place in Idaho and then partly takes place in, in Argentina. We have this fun world thing. There's a great Gatsby moment. There's a big ski scene. There's a tango scene. It's a mashup of so many wonderful worlds and it has a very dramatic family. It's a, it's a woman trying to get away from her past. So that's kind of my upmarket authors and, and how I imagine them to be upmarket. That's really interesting because you're saying that Andrea usually does have some sort of mystery element and that's very different from someone like Karen Ketcher who's writing straight up mystery and thrillers. Exactly. And she follows a lot more of the beats of a classic thriller mm -hmm. novel. So those are, it's very like beat driven. One thing that I found really interesting is that you have Lindsay Wong, who started as a memoir, and now her latest is a fiction book. It seems like you're open to authors who want to cross genres. And I'm wondering how you support them in that process and how you go about navigating the desire to switch genres as well. Lindsay is incredibly, incredibly talented. I mean, I would read her shopping list. She's so freaking brilliant. If you're listening, Lindsay, you're the best. She started with her memoir, the Woo Woo. Lindsay is one of those authors where like, she takes your breath away. Her writing is so clear and so funny and so dramatic, but also self-aware and distant at the same time. It's very hard to describe her. So her memoir really is her personal story, a very dramatic personal story about you know family and, and mental health and a lot of dramatic topics in, in that regard. And then her latest collection, is going to be a short story collection next year. And then she's writing a novel after that. So she's just one of these people who is, whatever she tries to do is brilliant. Everybody should be jealous of her because... <laughs> She really has the chops to do it all. I wouldn't say that she is necessarily overly business-minded, but she has that mentality of, I'm going to do this. I have a contract. I'm going to, I'm going to deliver on time. I'm going to make this happen. So yes, she, so next she has a short story collection that is so eclectic and just absolutely stunning. I'm so excited about it. And then after that, she's doing a novel. So really supporting authors through the process of crossing genres is a complicated thing because sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes the ambition to do it is stronger than the ability ability to do it. And sometimes it just takes more time, right? Like some people who think oh, I'm good at this, it's really easy for me to be good at that. But really it's like learning new muscles, right? And, and retraining your body for a whole new activity. And so it, it can be really, really challenging. Some people, again, can switch gears more easily. Some can't. So I try to counsel them as best I can. Everybody's situation is so unique, but I'm open to it. Absolutely. I'm definitely not closed to it by any means. You know, one of my clients, Jail Richardson, she did a memoir and then a novel, and now she's doing a, a picture book and then she's going back to her novel. So she definitely is somebody also that can jump around and do and do lots of great things. But a lot of it is support, right? It's agent support, publisher support, editor support to be able to do those things. Yeah. When they are going to jump genres, is it important that the story that they're going to write is another item on your manuscript wish list? How did that work? Yeah, that's a good question. It hasn't happened recently, but it has happened in the past where I worked with them in a certain category. And then when I wasn't doing any kid lit, I had sent them over to some other agencies at our agency to help work on another concept. I'm very happy to support them in whatever they want to do. But once they're a client, I kind of consider them like in-house and, and I'll do everything I can to help them within the agency to make those dreams come true. The only time that I wouldn't is if I really feel like I am not the right advocate for it or nobody at the agency is either. I, I wouldn't want to get in the way of somebody's success just because it's not my expertise. 
That makes sense. For your nonfiction that you're looking at, usually I've seen, you know, unique memoirs or things that you're looking for. You're really big with cookbooks. I know uh, Zero Waste Chef was one that came out and Anne-Marie's amazing. What she does is incredible. I'm just so inspired by her whole mindset. When you're looking for nonfiction and selected nonfiction, what are you attracted to? Or is there anything that you're looking forward to coming out if you can talk about it, but you might not want to talk about it? You might want to keep that private and have those secrets planted for later. Yeah, a lot of the platform-driven nonfiction is oftentimes things I seek out. So if I'm following somebody on Instagram or I'm reading their journalism, I'm reaching out to them. I actually do a lot of outreach because I know what I'm looking for. And a lot of it is I don't know it until I see it, which is probably the most frustrating thing to ever hear an agent say. Because <laughs> it's like, it's your job to know you. Sometimes I don't know until I see this really great article. And then it's just a happy day when and then, you <laughs> find it, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. One of my clients, Alex Manley, is somebody that I reached out to when I read their article. And the article was entitled, Why Are There No Gay NHL Players? And that obviously made me think, like, why aren't there? And obviously, since then, there has been somebody that had come out. But at the time, um, this, this article only came out probably two years ago, there wasn't any. And so Alex was thinking so critically about masculinity and what it means to be a man in today's society and writing so many interesting things. And immediately, as soon as I read that article, I DM'd Alex and I was like, I need to know what you're working on. And we actually started working together right after we DM'd each other. That was an incredible connection. Another client that I recently started working with, Tamara Cherry, I believe she was through the slush pile, but she's somebody who has a journalism background. We're working on a book together right now. It's called Unspeakable. It's really about trauma reporting in the media and uh, how to be more sensitive around trauma reporting and uh, for not only the victims' families, but survivors and things like that. It's a really, really smart, wonderful book. I'm looking for people with platform, something new to say to, again, to kind of push the conversation forward and ideally work with people who are at the top of their game in terms of their knowledge of these new categories and, and subgenres and categories that people are maybe not talking about as much as they should have. And we need a book to be a thought leader. You know, we need somebody to be a thought leader in these categories and these journalists and, and writers and smart thinkers are the people we need to do that. You mentioned Anne-Marie, who's a zero waste chef. Anne-Marie is really at the top of her game in terms of the zero waste community. So I'm really thinking about people who are leaders already in that space, whether it's they have big platforms or again, they're doing writing or journalism on it. Those are the things that are really important to me in that space. In terms of projects that are near and dear to my heart, all of them definitely are in one capacity or another. I think that I worked on a graphic memoir called Dear Scarlet, but my wonderful client, Teresa, it was basically a memoir of her postpartum depression scene by scene and, and Teresa sketched it and, and made me cry. It was so moving, really funny and uplifting and just made me feel all the feelings. I'm really just looking for unique projects. Another project I really liked working on was a project called Launching While Female and it's about uh, female entrepreneurs and how they get such little VC funding. Women get only 8% of all the VC funding every year which is mind-blowing. So working with Suzanne on that project was incredible. So I learned something new every time I'm working with a nonfiction author, which makes me feel like a better human being and a smarter person. So it's very selfish, all this nonfiction I'm working on. I see that with nonfiction and fiction. That's why I love stories so much and why I knew that I had to be involved in stories is because they teach you. They teach you things about yourself that you didn't realize. They teach you things about other people, other cultures, other communities and those connections. So that's wonderful. I love that you're always keeping your eyes and your heart open for those stories. Also on your wish list, you 
are always looking for underrepresented stories as well. Yeah, I, I debated whether even writing it in my manuscript wishlist because it feels like it should be obvious that I'm open to any writers. But I had a conversation with my assistant, Joe, and we were both like, yeah, you kind of, unfortunately, I do need to write that out. But to me, it should be a no-brainer. I want to work with the most talented people working on whatever they're working on. And authenticity matters a lot to me. And underrepresented voices really need to be heard and, and need to be paid and need to be paid well. I feel like we need to add it's so hard and making sure that everybody is paid really well. And in terms of stories that I'm looking for, really just there tends to be an industry bias towards more trauma-driven stories by more marginalized authors. And I really yeah. try to steer away from this. You know, I really just want to focus on joy as much as possible. And I'm not, I would never say no to you know any sort of serious subject matter, of course, but I'd love to see more projects that are funny. This wasn't one of my clients, but Dial A for Aunties was just an amazing book where it's just so funny, right? And it's like, we have a wonderfully rich cast and, you know, the concept is you have four meddling Asian aunties aunties coming to the rescue. And I just thought really cute, wonderful family dynamic. I just thought that was so sweet. So I would just love also like funny, joyful books by authors of color, because I really think we could use some more joy. But as I said, I wouldn't say no to more serious projects as well. I just want to make it clear that I'm, I'm an open book and open door for all stories, all great writing. And it goes back to that same concept. You have to write a great book. I know that you also like to work with clients who are in it for the career. Do you work with anyone who is looking at one or two books? Or are you mainly focusing on clients who writers who want to have a career with you? I'm very career focused. Things don't always work out in terms of what people um, are able to achieve or what we're able to achieve together. And sometimes with nonfiction clients, it is really one book that they need to help their brand launch itself. Or maybe they only do one book every five years or something like that. So the pace for nonfiction is sometimes a bit different. But for novelists, ideally, they hope that it will be their career. And so do I. I take it really seriously. This isn't a hobby for me. This is my job. And I want to work with writers who also take it seriously like their job. I totally understand that you have day jobs and all of that sort of stuff. And I'm willing to you know, accommodate phone calls around other people's busy schedules, of course. But yes, it's a job to me and, and I just want people to take it seriously for themselves. I, I'm 100% behind that. Another thing that you do is you are a wonderful co-host of a fantastic podcast called The Shit No One Tells You About Writing with Bianca Murray and Cece Lira. And you are part of the Books with Hooks segment. And you talk a lot about when you're querying an agent, there's a specific three paragraph format or three section format. I'm wondering for people who do want to query you who are listening to this right now and thinking, yes, 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 she is for me. I am for her. We have the same stories, the same mindset. How do they hook you? That's an excellent question. I have less time than ever and I have two small children and sometimes my bandwidth isn't as big as I always want it to be. So having a really strong hook section at the top of your query is so important. I need to know the facts. What is the genre? What is the word count? What are the comps? All of that is so important to me. I'm drawn towards comps that I've read. So if you go to my Instagram, I do a hashtag CW reads where I post everything that I read. So you, maybe you can see that I've talked about on Twitter, you know, I'm at Carly Waters on Twitter and Instagram. So you can, you know, see what I'm reading, see what I'm up to, because I, I love comps that I can really get excited about. Succinct, strong hook paragraph is so important to me. A body paragraph in your query that it feels like sales copy, not too long. You know, again, I don't have a lot of bandwidth these days. So I'm really just trying to get the gist of the project. The job of a query is just to get us to request more, right? You're not trying to tell your life story. You're trying to get us to request more. So make sure that's your goal. I love that. And I love that you have the hashtag CW reads because everyone should be running towards that. 
and looking for those comps and also supporting other writers who are writing these great stories and you're helping them find that as well. So that's fantastic. And if you haven't heard the podcast, this should no one tells you about writing, you should and write reviews because it's wonderful and it helps support them. And it also gives really good examples on exactly what Carly is looking for when she's looking for a hook. Well, thank you so much. At the end of every podcast, I do like to have a final three questions. This is a lightning round of questions. So you're going to try to answer these questions in one sentence, which goes along with you and your bandwidth and knowing that you want people to have concise queries as well. First one, what is one piece of advice you often give your clients? Oh, I usually say that um, working in the book business, it's not life or death. We're not working in a life or death business. The arts are so important, but there is a certain amount of perspective we need in this career to remember it's not life or death. I take it very seriously, but put your family first, put your health and wellness and, and mental health first always. Love that piece of advice. Helps us step back and have perspective. We're we're often moms or dads or full-time jobs. I think it will help redeem the passion as well because burnout is inevitable, I feel like, at some point. And knowing to how to ask for help and how to have that is really great. Second question for you, what is your favorite book and why did you love it so much? Oh, that's a good question. My latest favorite is The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo. I... I'm just obsessed with that book. I love the characters. I love everything about it. It's long-ish. I will say that. Usually my favorite books aren't that long, but I just love a great family dynamic story. And I'm really lucky that this week I pitched a book to editors that I could use that comp for. So I love that one. To be continued. More information to come on that book, hopefully. Okay. Third and final question. What are you reading right now? Ooh, that's a really good question. I'm reading a lot of queries, but the book that I'm reading right now is Cultish. It's about how we are replacing our need for community with MLMs and other things. I'm like, what are cults, modern cults, and what is cult-ish, and talking about Amway and LuLaRoe and all of those sorts of things. So I'm very, I'm very drawn to that. So if you liked the Lula Rich documentary, you'll like Cultish. Thanks so much, Carly. That's great. I'll include all the books that Carly has mentioned in this podcast on the show notes. And and just a friendly reminder that it's also really nice to support local bookstores. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. I hope the podcast is a big success. Thanks, Carly. I always appreciate your support and I look forward to continuing to support you and your clients. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining me on Lit Match. If you liked my conversation, pass the show on and write a review. If you have any questions or recommendations for Lent Match, please email me at abigailkperry at gmail.com. I hope you'll join me for next week's show. In the meantime, remember, it only takes one yes. And that yes is even better when it comes from the best literary agent for your writing career.